The universe is full of a lot of opportunity. Now, if you think there's only five people in need of any plumbing work in your geography in the next year, and you got to win three of them to, to eat, well, maybe you got different issues you got to look at. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Khalil. Yes, Martin. You usually talk first. I do. This time I'm going to. Go ahead. I see that the Norman North soccer girls are in the whatever you call it. Yeah. Or the, they are. How about you? And we are not. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we oh. got jinxed, Martin. We had an episode on imposter syndrome and you started, you know, building me up as this great coach. And the next game, I was like, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Next game, we go out and lose. So thanks, Martin. Uh, no, I, oh, sorry about no, that. We had, a, we had a great season, great team. But um, like anything in life, if you take it for granted, it can just disappear. And I think our guys, after right. a state championship win last year, just maybe overlooked things a little bit. But um, speaking of overlooking things, there's a lot of things that business owners overlook. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about that today with our guest, Tim Burke. Maybe. Tim, how are you? I'm great. Yeah. Good morning, Khalil. Good morning, Martin. Yeah, we appreciate having you Tim. on, Martin. You've been wanting to have Tim on for a while and uh, yes. really fascinating stories that I get to hear from you about his philosophy on things. And so excited for our listeners to hear some of that as well. Um, I know, Martin, you wanted to start out with uh, some questions on just Tim's background and how he got into entrepreneurship. Uh, and it's probably been a while since he's done this, but you used to mow lawns, Tim? Yeah, I started out um, grade school and high school mowing lawns on my grandparents' street, and um, it actually became pretty lucrative. I, I didn't realize it when I started it, but people kept asking me, and you'll hear that theme often from me about the idea of people asking me for help. So as I cut my grandparents' uh, lawn, other people, elderly people on their street needed help, and they would ask me to stop and ask me if I could cut their lawn, hedge their lawns, and uh, grew into a nice little business throughout my um, throughout high school. So it was great. Why is that so important, Tim, that you know you, people are needing help? Why is that such an important aspect of doing business, finding people that actually need help? Well, from what we found over the years and what I even found back in my high school days cutting lawns is that you know, some people and many people, especially in the, I'm in the technology field. And a lot of the people in the technology field are what I refer to as uh, do-yourselfers. Uh, they have IT teams or people who are in their organizations. And they, they, they historically, IT is something that people have wanted, felt they could do themselves or they like to do it. Or there's a lot of IT people out there providing services in a, in a DIY standpoint. And, um, what we've learned is you just have to be cognizant of that with, with your clients and uh, work with them where they need help. And so rather than going in and saying, hey, here's all my whiz bang things you should buy and things I've thought of that you should buy and you should need, we've just worked with our clients and asked them, well, how, how can we help you and what do you what do you need? And, and we found that that has been a much better approach versus going in and, and selling something to, to somebody. Yeah. And um, it actually, I can't, I can, I can probably, I'm a couple of hands. I finally learned the idea that when I dreamt up whatever the greatest next best thing was that my customers should be interested in, I always felt that my customers would kind of pat me on the head and say, well, that, that's nice, Tim, but here's what I need. And I yeah. thought, boom, there's a theme here. So I haven't had a lot of success with the, the whiz-bang things that I've come up with. I really modeled my organization. Going back to cutting the lawns, what do my customers need it? Yeah. Do, they need the, do they need the leaves raked? No, nah, they're going to handle the leaves. But they want me to edge the lawn and they want me to cut the lawn. Got it. Yeah. And, and they don't want to pull the weeds. So, hey, can you help us pull the weeds? I think that's a really good perspective and it reminds me of a couple of different things. One, Wolf of Wall Street, when they say, sell me this pen and uh, he gives it the pen to multiple people. Hey, sell me this pen and no one can sell him the pen. And then finally, this guy that's 
not in sales, just a guy off the street. He says, sell me this pen. He takes the pen. The guy takes the pen from him and said, hey, write down your phone number for me. He said, I don't have a pen. Well, I got one. I'll sell it to you. <laughs> and, and so that's the, that's the, the yeah. that's one of the analogies. The and then the I, I, had I think another one is understanding if you're selling vitamins or medicine. A lot of times we try to sell vitamins, but people aren't good at taking vitamins. They don't, they don't enjoy it. They don't think about it. Oh, I'll, I'll do it next time. But when they're in pain, give me the medicine, you know? And I right. think that's another Correct. understand or way of framing it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the themes that we do talk about a lot with our client, well, we don't talk a lot about pain, but, but realistically in the technology space there, there is a lot of pain and we're consistently trying to remain in contact with as many clients as we possibly can and prospects because we know at some moment in time, um, and it could be tomorrow, it could be six months from now or three years from now, they, they may have pain and we want to make sure we're there. And if, and if we're not there, um, if we're not talking to them, if we're not engaged, we're not going to know about it. And so that's, that's critical to how we, how we've gone to market. Martin, how did you, how did you get introduced to Tim? Well, my son works for him, <laughs> and so I always have to walk very carefully because there's more risk than my job. <laughs> but uh, one thing, this my son's name is Nick, and uh, he was in San Francisco on an invited interview for somebody, and he'd heard about Quest through a thing in the army. Don't need to go into details. And extended his stay a few days and went over and said, hey, you guys need anybody? And I don't know if it was you, Tim. Maybe it was your son, Adam. It might have been Adam, so, uh, the Army. Yeah, connection. he goes, well, I don't know. Never had anybody in here walk in here like that. Maybe we got a prospect. And that's how it started. So yeah, um, that's, that's where I met Tim. And then he actually read my book one time and called me no, one of the One of the few. I thought he wanted to. Yeah, Nick yeah, walked in one day and just left it on my desk with a note on it, your book. And and I've been in business, obviously, you can tell from the gray hair, I'm over 25. And uh, it's probably the best book, business book I've I've written, I've read um, in terms of really explaining wow. to people like CFOs and whatnot. And I've read hundreds of business books, but man, it really talked to the things that a lot of us, especially CEOs and possibly COOs, um, and maybe sometimes even CFOs don't understand <laughs> about, about finance and, and about businesses and how you make money and don't make money. And so great. It was, it was just great. And then I reached out, I reached out to, 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 to Martin. I appreciate those kind words, Tim, coming from you. That means a lot. I want, to, I want to jump back just a little bit uh, before we leave the lawn mowing. There must be something about lawn mowing because the four most successful, I'll, I'll say among the, the most successful people I know, four I can think of off the top of my head, not counting Mike Andes, who was uh, on our podcast and is a lawn mowing guy, started by mowing lawns. And uh, if you, maybe Tim, just a little bit like, I don't know if you want to say how big your company is now, but by the way, you're in Roseville, California. Uh, it's it's significant. You have a significant company and maybe oh, 150 about a, about employees. About a quarter billion dollars in revenue. Okay. And you have 150 employees and 150 contractors. I mean, yeah, a couple, a couple of 200, 250 employees and other yeah. 200 contractors and consultants that we work with around the world. Yeah. So that, that's a lot bigger than asking your grandmother's neighbor, right? Yes. Can you just give us, you know, for people listening who, uh, we have a, an episode called Imposter Syndrome, and a lot of times they're thinking, oh, that, that can't be me. How did you literally get from mowing lawns to sitting in the CEO of a unique, dynamic company that we'll make clear as we go on through this podcast? What, what were the steps? Well, I, from a step standpoint, um, I got mowing lawns and, you know, did, went to college and got my degree in agricultural economics. Um, and which you use every day, right? I use it every day. But 
the good thing agricultural economics where i went to school with uc davis was a basically their business program so yeah there was some you know but i, I learned how to do a crop budget but even then <laughs> I, I didn't know what a crop budget really was but uh, and then went into the uh, kind of a funny story because life and, and my kids and other people who talk to me want to want to act as if there are there is a magic formula to where you where you were to where you get and a lot of times things just happen that you have to push doors and open and the door opens and you move through it my circumstance was i had uh, an uncle so people say well how'd you get in the technology industry in the 1977 78 that was probably a good time to get in the technology <laughs> business and it's like yeah it was and boy that was I guess the next thing they're saying, I planned it all out. Well, absolutely did not plan it out. Um, I I had an uncle who um, I was interviewing. So much of us in college, we interview, how do you get out and you're looking for a job? And I was interviewing with a lot of different ag companies and different people around the country and planning to get married. And um, one of the jobs I was interviewing for was with a company that we all know is still around today called IBM. And uh, they were just on the campus interviewing. So I really had no intention or plan to necessarily go to work for them, but I was interviewing with them. And my mom told my uncle that I was interviewing with IBM. I had no interest or desire necessarily to go into the technology. And uh, she told him I was interviewing with IBM and he became so irate because at some point in his life, in his mind, IBM had wronged him. And I don't know the background and I don't never, never did find out the background, but his comment to my mom was he will never go to work for IBM if, if I had anything to do about it. And so he called another mainframe company, a competitor of IBM. And it was, it was, it was somebody. And, and he said, you need to hire my, my nephew. So I get a call uh, from this company and they say, hey, we've, you've been referred to us and we need to hire you. And can you tell us something about what your background is? And I said, well, my background's in agricultural economics. And they said, well, why are you being referred to us? And I said, I don't really know. And uh, anyway, so I uh, ended up going to work for that company and spending a number of years there learning technology, becoming an SE going into sales, going to management, and then decided, again, not a great plan, but uh, my next um, my next position within that company was going to move me to the East Coast. And um, my wife, again, said, no, that, that's not happening. Uh, so what are we going to do? And we decided to start our own business. And we started the business and started out of our garage. Um, started calling customers selling computer supplies and computer supplies back and for those of the a lot of younger people don't even know what a computer supply is things like diskettes and round reel tape and disc packs and printer ribbons and believe it or not people that was that was high level technology at the time and people uh, wanted to talk to us about it so we talked to them and explained what our proposition we had them available and the challenge, the challenge was is that customers always couldn't find what they needed from the major manufacturer, so we were a supplier of computer supplies. And um, how we've grown the business, and this is critical, kind of the, the, the short answer to a, to a short question, uh, is we then really work with our customers as we grew our customer base as the technology of the tech of the computer industry and technology industry migrated where it is today as new technologies as as pcs became relevant apple ibm pcs networking uh, wide area networks application development all the things that we do today are really just outgrowths of working with our customers to define with them well what do you need help with today so we really just followed the technology migration of the technology industry. And, you know, whether today it's cloud computing and unfortunately, um, cybersecurity, we started in cybersecurity probably 20 years ago. 
not because I had this great vision and it wasn't called cybersecurity as an example, but I had a customer that um, I was sitting in the office of a regional bank and he had all these stack of what I knew to be security devices from Cisco. I said, well, did we sell you those? He goes, yeah, you sold us those. The Cisco, the Cisco people said we needed it. There's something called the GLB Act that came about in, in the early 2000s. And um, we need this from a security standpoint. I said, well, do you know how to make it work? And they said, no, our people really don't know how to make it work. And I said, well, do you know how to keep it working and monitor it and everything? And he said, no, we, we really don't. Can you help us? And I said, yeah, I think we can. So that was the first part of our, quote, managed services in the cybersecurity world. It wasn't called cybersecurity then, but it was... So we we've been doing this for for a long long time. We kind of kind of chuckled to ourselves about all the new entrants and everyone's jumping on board with this and all the acronyms and new names and everything. But but really, it's just working with our customers to understand something our customers needed. Uh, Tim, one other thing I've noticed here though, and I don't know the answer to this, but when you're sitting at the banker's desk. And he said, and the banker asked you, do you know how to make this work? And you said, yeah, I think we can. Yeah. Did you know how to make it work while you were sitting there? Uh, I wouldn't say I had all the systems in place to make it work, but I knew I had a very, very talented team um, that could help them make it work. So we, we did that kind of thing. As I said before, some customers find that they want to just do it themselves and and feel they have the, 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 the talent in in their organization to do that. Some realize they don't. And in, in this case, the, the banker realized it, he didn't and, uh, and asked us if, 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 we, if we could help. Well, we'll talk about this more a little bit in the future. But one thing that I know about you from having known you for a while is we may not know completely how to do everything, but we can figure it out. Right. Yeah. And, and the two things that I've heard so far are one, you, you kind of say, well, I didn't really do it. I was just lucky. No, you had opportunities and you took them. Correct. Right. You didn't say, oh, I don't know how to do that. I'm scared. You took and, them. I, 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 do find a, I do find a lot of companies, especially in our industry, um, that kind of, they, they, our industry changes I would say about every four to six months if quicker. It used to be 18 months. It used to be three years. It's constantly. And a lot of people get stuck where they're at. Um, we've, we've recognized, <clears throat> excuse me, that we, we just can't get stuck because getting stuck in our industry is, is uh, death. And uh, we just have to move along. And it doesn't mean we abandon what we've done previously. I still sell millions of dollars of product so that's where we started selling product we still sell technology products because customers want to buy them we have a lot of great customers who need things from us and we are certainly excited to sell them that product and if if, if they need that and um, but some people will stop at a specific point in time and um, they'll find reasons why they can't move forward or, or, or whatever. But in our mind, well, you just have to, you just have to keep moving forward with, with the technologies that are presented to you. Hmm. And another, another thing, just real quickly, Cleo, that you're not doing all of that yourself. I know you're very, uh, compared to me, you, you know a lot about technology, but you don't have to do it all yourself. I mean, of course not at your size, but you've got people uh, that you work with in your company to make these things work. It doesn't have to be Tim. Cor oh, correct. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not that technology. What, what I am, and coming back from my original training in the industry is, I, I found early on in my career, so I feel it's important to define what you are good at and candidly what you're not good at. More Probably more important what you're not good at. I'm... I, I feel what I'm good at is in the technology space is understanding the end user's 
situation and be able to to talk. It's like I can I can talk French and I can talk German because these people a lot of times are talking different languages to each other, and I'm I'm that in between interpreter. And I realized that that's probably my biggest strength is understanding the technology at a pretty deep level, but I'm not the person that's going to do the, the coding and the, you know, I'm not sitting at the, at the desk doing the, the, the detailed stuff. And on the, at the end user level, I can understand what they're trying to accomplish. So what is the client really trying to accomplish? And, and now I have, I have to, coordinate that and make that happen. That that would be what I've recognized as my strength. And then all at the same time, recognizing what my weakness is, I'm not going to go in there and try to um, run the, the technology aspect down to the, the board level to understand what they're trying to do. And I'm, and I'm certainly at the end user level, I'm not going to tell them how they should run their business. I don't know. I, I want to understand their business as best I can, but I'm it's their business and how they want to run it is really their, their decision. Hmm. Uh, Tim, going back to that process of you meeting, meeting with someone and hearing a need that they have and really having no experience in solving that need, but knowing that you can figure it out, what is the process for figuring it out? What do you go through whenever someone presents you with a challenge that you're, you've never done before, or you're not very familiar with? but you're going to, you feel like you can, how do you go from, I feel like we can to knowing that we can. Well, I rely on a lot of other partners. So my goal is to, to document from the client's perspective, not what I think they need, but what they need. And so very much to get that clearly delineated, what that client's requirements are, what they're thinking, Candidly, what they're willing to pay, because I'll, I'll sit in meetings with clients and they want to accomplish something a lot and they budgeted $5,000 for it. And I'm, I'm thinking, nah, you know, I probably, that's probably not going to work. I have a basic understanding of some of these things. Um, this is what needs to be addressed. And then whether with internally, to have my teams uh, engaged in defining the more specific aspects of that requirement and then coming back to the client, whether I'm using my own in-house resources or I'm using um, third-party resources. So we've, we've developed a, an extensive um, worldwide support organization we call our virtual bench. And that virtual bench is not everything in the technology space, but significant amounts of the really important aspects of technology delivery in the world today. And we we have partners and individuals and consultants that we've built over the years, the last 15 years. And so that we run a software package that looks for specific um, requirements. So if a customer comes to us and says, I have this specific ERP system, or I have this specific um, deliverable that I'm looking for. If we don't have the resources in house, we we act as a, in essence, similar to many of your clients, uh, general contractor, in bringing on those specific resources that can address. And we vetted them, and we figured out how they're going to get paid, and we have that all pre-handled, so we can pretty quickly engage them in the conversation with the end user. And it's not that we back away, we stay engaged kind of in a, again, in the sense of the general contractor in our industry it's called an integrator, um, but basically a general contractor. And we bring in the various resources. I've got one yesterday as an example, it's an ERP system. Client is working with a, a certain ERP system. They're having a lot of challenges with it. They feel like their needs right now is we we don't feel we've got good project management going on and we need we need help migrating data from one database to another. Okay, got it. Understand what the requirements are. Now we're going to bring the appropriate people into place to to help them get to where they where they want to go. Remember, our marketplace seventy to eighty percent of 
people's efforts fail. <laughs> and so that call yesterday was a classic example of something failing. Wow. That, that's a DIY. They're trying to do it themselves. It, I, well, you mentioned partly, that earlier. Yeah, but partly, like, it was, partly it's DIY. They're trying to do it themselves. They had a third party that they were trying to engage, but they were DIYing that third party. And it was it was just a, a circumstance that now now they're kind of they're stuck. And how, how can we help? So as that integrator, Tim, you're basically doing some, in essence, that project management aspect of the role in the project. And as a project management service provider, in a sense, uh, scope can become an issue because projects can <laughs> run into obstacles. You can have challenges that you had no idea about. How do you prevent that scope really? creep from happening? <laughs> no, that, that doesn't happen. Well, well, no, well no. with that, the challenge is how do you price accurately if then all of a sudden this challenge comes up? Now do you have a, you know, um, something that you, you add on because there, you, there's this aspect of the project that you didn't know about? Do you charge more for that? Um, how do you handle scope creep in a sense? And how do you price effectively as a project management provider? A great question. I, we, um, we go to market. In, well, we go to market in multiple ways, but three ways. One is a letter of engagement. We provide a resource to the client, and that resource has a specific talent set, and they're under the management and control of the client. That's called a letter of engagement, and that's purely T and M and hourly. So okay. that time that, that's a client. Yeah. We provide a scope of engagement, and that is still TNM, but it's it is a usually has a project manager involved. It's it's built TNM. There's a team defined and then a clear definition of the of the deliverable, and and then if there's changes in the deliverable that are discovered throughout the process, that you quickly and hopefully as quickly as possible define what that change is. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. Uh, and then there's the what we call a full scope, a SOW, scope of work, and it's a fixed price engagement. Again, not really that different than a scope of engagement, scope of work, but we have to quickly identify when we get involved at the kickoff call or as we have it, what we call progress of, of any kind of project, any what you called scope creep, we're, we're, we're moving outside the, the lanes here and that and that's tough for people so your project managers have to be okay with I guess the word is confrontation because sometimes you do get into confrontation no one ever wants to pay more uh, everyone thinks we all were on the same page three weeks ago and now we're not so I think it starts with a deliverable a definition in the scope and we really try to ensure that we are um, on tax with the client in terms of what the deliverable is. The other thing that we do different that we do get pushed back a lot on is the customer, we get this in the technology space, maybe you get it in the construction space. Hey, we wanna build this house. What's it gonna cost me? Well, let me look at the plans and the design. Oh, we don't need those. We don't need no plans and design. I was just at Home Depot and, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's everything you need to build a house at Home Depot. We just build it. And, uh, and no, so we'll, we'll go into a client. We, we call it a phased approach. Hmm. We're, we're going to do a phase one and we're going to really understand your current circumstances, what you're currently trying to do. And we're going to map out what you're trying to accomplish and mutually have agreement on that. And we'll charge you a, a fee for that as part of the scope of phase one. And then phase one will define phase two or phase three and phase four. And, and that's worked well for us. Uh, we do that specifically a lot of times in our application development area because people have this vague air, this vague idea of what they would like to see happen, what they want to see happen on the screen or their websites or, or whatever. But in, until we really have that defined and the pushback is, well, you know, Bob's computer over here, they'll just come in and do, uh, 
do everything up front, give me a fixed price up you know, after two or a, a couple of meetings and, and we'll have a price and we'll say, yeah, I'm sure there, there are. We don't find that to be the best way to do it for both, both parties. But if that's, if that works for you, that works for you. So we'll, we'll, we're okay walking away. Yeah, that's part of our part of our culture. That's so important. the The willingness to walk away from a from a job is huge, but also you're you're effectively charging to give an estimate. <laughs> like if you want me to quote this job, we got to go through a phase one. We're going to understand it really well because that's the only way we're going to be able to give you an accurate quote, and that costs money because it takes time, right? Yeah, and and you'll have customers come back that way. So we've kind of circumvented that a little bit by. When the client asks us, and so if it's something, whatever they need done, we need a new network deployed or we need a new SD-WAN or whatever the technology is, we'll say, great, let's review your design criteria and your design. And we'll, we'll work from there, get you what you need. And then they go, well, we don't have that. Oh, well, we can help you with that. And so rather than approach it from a standpoint of we're going to charge you for an estimate we're always trying to be positive with them in terms of what just assuming what they they must understand they need a they need a design for the house what's the blueprints for the house right and uh um, that's a I yeah like and you're delivering something of value uh for their for the upfront money not just the way you phrase it. Yeah, You're we're delivering not, something not, of value. Yeah, we're not just generating a quote. We're not charging to generate a quote. I don't know right now what to quote. I have no idea right. what to quote. Right. And and then you'll hear things like, well, you're the experts and so forth and so on. You know, I want to add on these these four rooms and two bathrooms and I want to put a second level on. Can you can you just give me a quote for that? <laughs> oh uh I no, no. probably not. Uh, what's your design? And, you know, not that you have to have an architect, but you got to have some plans, you know, how you think this is going to lay out. Well, you need to include that. Well, I, I'm not sure that's, you, you want to go that route. We need to get someone in here and we can help you with that. We can bring in the experts to help you with that design and make sure it's going to work the way you want it to. Some customers, uh, I had a customer in Texas, uh, Last week in the construction business, actually, it's interesting how the construction business, a lot of times we get this from people in the construction business. I said, he, he's going to go out for RFP because their world is RFPs and RFQs record. Yeah. And I said, he goes, we want you to participate. We've heard, we've heard good things about you guys. And we want you to participate. We said, great. Send us your design specs of what you want to see happen and how you see it happening. And we'll, we'll get back with you on putting that together. Well, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't have anything. We just want you to uh, quote some quote something, what it's going to cost quote Shakespeare. Yeah. And uh, it was like, well, no, that doesn't really, really make sense. Well, there's other guys who will just quote it. I said, Oh, okay. I said, maybe, maybe that'll, maybe that'll work. But I reminded him, he, he's in a lot of pain right now because I think he did that last time. Yeah. But I got to be careful because people don't necessarily want to be reminded that their staircase that they just built is falling through. And now maybe we should put some design into how it should work. Right. But. Well, I, I also love that because you're getting buy-in from them from the get-go. So much of the problem with project, you know, managing projects is that there wasn't a really good buy-in from both sides and clear definition of what we're actually going to be doing at the beginning. Right. And because they're putting money up front to go through that phase one and get the design specs really nailed out and they're paying for that, they give a lot of time and attention and energy to defining what they want. Whereas a lot of times you don't yeah. get a clear definition of it because they don't, uh, they're going to send me what I need or whatever. Yeah. In theory, that's true. But I, in our world, a lot of people don't know what they want, what they, what they want and what they don't know, or they, they know what they want, but how it's going to happen, what it's going to cost all the details around it. So when you throw out that idea, security is a great example in, in client security. 
um, we get engaged in folks security and they want us to come in and maybe they've had an event of some sort and they need help with uh, email security or they, they think they've had a ransomware event well, hopefully haven't had a ransomware event but so we get we get brought in by partners around the country in ransomware circumstances and and the first thing we ask for is um, what's your security policy can we see your security policies and there's this kind of pause and oh you got to be careful because like if you really want to deploy security and cybersecurity, you should have a plan of what that means and, and to you. And and what you know, where do you want your employees accessing the internet or not accessing? And who do you want opening emails and opening attachments and who who gets access to what applications? And you know, it's a it's a policy that a company has thought through. And many times I would say 90% of the time we're engaged with a situation the customer's not happy or in pain. They, they more often than not don't have a policy and we'll, we'll ask them if they'd like us to help them define that policy. And um, many times they just, they just would prefer not. Hmm. Why, why is that? I mean, the DIY and, um, there are a lot of times that people have an IT guy in the back room. I'm a CEO and I got an IT guy and he tells me we're safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of that. So the CEO and the CFO and the COO, and even in small business owners that smaller business owners, 10, we have customers who are 10, 10 employees, five employees, 30 employees. And, um, well, it's cost a lot of this costs money to begin with, and you know, money's not always in it's sometimes in short supply. So again, that's a that's a reality. Um, we don't understand the complexities of what we're involved with. You know, companies have. I used to laugh at. I don't know if you remember this ages ago, but they used to have a Charlie Chaplin. It just drove me crazy. The Charlie Chaplin uh, card. IBM had this uh, when the PCs first came out. And Charlie Chaplin would just magically push these buttons and these beautiful graphs and and uh, spreadsheets and so forth would show up on the screens and and given the the end users of the world uh, the impression that it just all magically works and unfortunately it doesn't and that's a tough thing to it's a great marketing uh, approach and in our industry there's a lot of marketing a lot of a lot of things that market to this DIY culture that we're in, and those aren't accurate presentations or representations of reality, but people have, have bought into it. And so, yeah, my IT guy said, you know, I'll, we just got to buy this product from whoever and it, we're fine. And we come just, to find out they haven't deployed it correctly. They don't have it installed correctly. Uh, users are able to turn it off and they don't have it working and bypass it. It's a challenge. So it's interwoven through everything we've been talking about so far, but you have one thing that sets you off from virtually every company I know. And uh, we call it the thesis in your strategy, right? Right. Uh, that really, could you, could you talk a little bit about, uh, it's a way you go to market. I mean, what markets you go to and a way you go to market, it applies to general contractors who are building buildings or paving roads to have this kind of idea of who you're after and how you're going to approach them. Can you talk a little bit about what your thesis is, what a thesis is, and then we'll also talk about the strategy? Sure. Um, okay, so a thesis is uh, kind of a preliminary kind of a statement. I have one that's, uh, I'm looking at it right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight bullet points. There's eight bullet points to my thesis. And it basically describes the marketplace that I'm in and what I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm not, not my strategy, not how I'm going to go after it, but just the marketplace, uh, that, that I'm in. So as an example, would you read a few of those? Sure. Okay. So yes. like in, in our marketplace, there's a, uh, number one, there's a current lack and declining availability of competent, knowledgeable technology support in the, in the small and middle market. 
And that's just a reality. I, I didn't make that up. That's everywhere you read. There's just fewer and fewer people who, and the market's becoming very complex. So you got fewer and fewer people available that know what they're doing. Um, and, and then the complexity is increasing. Oh, that's a problem. Um, uh, 70% of technology projects fail or do 50% or, or do not reach, you know, intended success. Uh, 80% of end users focus are, are do-it-yourselfers. So, okay, they're, they're going to they're gonna remodel the bathroom on their own. They've never done it before, but the guy at Home Depot says it'll all be good. Um, that's, the, that's the market. That's the thesis that I live in, in, in this middle market. And um, there's significant trouble and pain within the IT market that we service uh, that, that pops up and needs help and, and so forth. So uh, those would be the thesis items that we would understand of, in terms of where we exist in the marketplace. So I'm not, I'm not selling to Fortune 500 major aerospace companies. You know, Boeing's not my client, Walmart. Well, actually, Walmart is my client now, but that's a different story. Uh, but that's, that's not typically my customer. My customer is, you know, five, 10 employees to 2,000 employees is referred to as the middle market, S&P market, what, what have you. So within that market, this is, this is our, our thesis. Everybody can have their own thesis. And then from that point, you move to a strategy. Okay, well, okay, fine. There's, that's all. Those are the things that you believe and how you, you see the marketplace in terms that you're, you're involved in. And now how do you, what is your strategy to go after that market? So that's the next step in, in your process. So whatever business you're in or wherever you're at, you know, what's your thesis and then strategy to participate, hopefully successfully in your, in your marketplace based on your thesis. And um, what we came to find out from a strategy standpoint is that um, it, it, the, we recognize there's four, we didn't come up with this. I think it's called Sandler sales. They recognize there's four kinds of clients. Um, there's the even keel. They don't do much. They're kind of stagnant. They don't, they're just kind of doing their own thing and they've been doing it for a long time. And, and then there's the, the arrogant, uh, overconfident client. Uh, there is the, um, um, high growth client that's rapidly growing and doing a lot of different things. And then there's trouble and pain. Client has trouble and pain. And a client, the theory is that a client moves between those three or those four levels all the time. At some point, they just kind of, everything's fine. Other times they, they have, they, they got it figured out. They're doing it themselves. Other times they're rapid growth. It's hectic pace. And sometimes they're in a pain mode for whatever reason, something blows up and they need help. We've come to find out strategically in terms of our thesis that there's plenty of opportunity for us in that trouble and pain area. And, and so we focus on what we call blue ocean, red ocean. That's a book out right. of Harvard. And no one turned anybody off telling you it's a book out of Harvard, but it's a good book. Well, blue ocean, red ocean, and um, uh, that that book talks about okay, red ocean is you know super competitive. Everybody's undercutting everybody. It's price wars. It's it's whatever, and ninety percent of the world probably is in that world. That's just you know where you are. Blue ocean is figuring out for yourself where where do we win. Where do we typically win? And, and um, where do I really want to be in terms of out, out for a swim? I don't want to be in the red ocean with the sharks. I want to be over in the blue ocean where it's nice and easy and, and so forth. So we, 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 we combine those two ideas, the, uh, the Sandler model of the four kinds of customer, recognizing where we have successes in the pain and um, customer who has pain and trouble and needs our help. We want to be needed. <laughs> and, uh, and then we also um, combine that with the, 
the relationship. So we have great relationships. We built a good relationship and the customers will work with us. So that's our blue ocean. Those two aspects are our blue ocean. And as an opportunity flows to us, um, we evaluate that opportunity based on those two criteria. Do the customer need us, want us, want to pay us to do the work, need our help? Or do we have this super relationship that they've, they've worked with us for 10 years, five years, and they'll, and they'll just work with us um, because they have a, we have a good relationship with them. So those are the two criteria we focus on. If, if, you, if you don't fall into that blue ocean of those two criteria, we're probably not going to engage. However, this is critical. We have to stay in contact with everybody. Not just our blue ocean buddies or pain buddies. We got to stay in contact with everybody. And this is kind of the, the flaw, potentially the weak point in the strategy. I got to keep in contact with everybody as best I can because everybody moves between those different levels of even keel, pain, um, overconfidence, arrogance, and, and, and what have you. So I've got to keep in touch with everybody. And that's, and that's a challenge. It's just in passing, but the pain criteria, criterion obviously is an incentive for them. But it's also pretty easy to discern. I mean, you can tell pretty quickly when you're engaged with somebody that's exploring and you find out, now they're just looking for RFQs and shopping for yeah, the cheapest you know, we're price five, on hardware. Yeah, they're quoting it out to five they, five people, and we have to stay polite and stay in contact with them. And um, yeah, but but yeah, are they? Do do they really want me and 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 need me for this situation or no? They got you know their own internal team, and they're the smartest guys, and they think there's ten people, and it's all about price and. We're going to quote it out and we're going to do an RFQ and so forth. And, and so it just, it just really depends on, it's pretty easy to, from a criteria. So, so either you've got the relationship. Yeah, we're just going to, they're going to, they need help with application development. We did some projects for them. We've done successful projects for them before and they, and they need help in application development or some other area. And we're going to provide that. Or they're they're in some sort of trouble or pain and something's not working, like the example I gave earlier about the uh, ERP system or the QuickBooks system. Something's not functioning right. And we need some help getting it getting it cleaned up. Can you help us? That and you're pretty the clear. folks who who work with you, meaning your internal folks. Um, one thing I was always, you said it earlier, there are 300 million targets out there for you. 350,000, right? 350,000. Oh yeah, 300 million. <laughs> yeah, that that would be, that's a population, 300,000. 300, a little bit of the idea, do you have to convince your people, do they have to learn that it's okay, this is, you know, salesmen want to make a sale, I presume, that, hey, yeah. no, let's be polite, build your, CRM with these people that we ever send them Christmas cards or whatever you do, but I'm looking for the pain point and move on. And I presume that's hard sometimes for salespeople. Salespeople, engineers, it's hard for everybody um, because our culture is, 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 is a red ocean culture. And, and so if they've had, if they've come from a different background and that background may have been, yeah, and, and they were successful in the red ocean. So don't get me wrong. There's a lot of successful companies who are out there in the red ocean. Um, and, and so they've been in that red ocean. So they bring that with them. And now you've got to deprogram them from the idea of red ocean. Now, if someone comes to me, um, when Nick came to me as an example from his background, um, he, he really, he had some background in the technical space, but, but, but he hadn't really been, inculcated in the idea of this is the only way to do it. And so he was able to move fluid into our strategy um, or people that I hire from college, they don't, they haven't done anything in the, and necessarily in this, in the world and in, in that regard. And they're, 
they they come on board and uh, I my daughter came to me after she graduated from college and worked for us in a sales capacity and uh, she would she would hear people talking about why we should go after RFPs and red ocean stuff and she would just shake her head like why why do they why do they want to be why? there and uh, because she had never experienced that she had never experienced to know that well that's just what you do in in a lot of a lot of cultures and a lot of organizations so it, it differs well it's really apparent that you have a firm and clear grasp of your identity as a business even as a business owner um, and you really do not let that be shaken by you know the opportunities that are out there and you understand that you have to control who you are and what you do and but you do that by finding people that need you, not by needing other people. And as soon as you start needing other people, your identity gets shifted and you don't really know what you're doing and you're at the mercy of the client. And that's not really a great place to be whenever you're running a business. So it's, I really love how firm of a grasp you have on that. And I think that's something that listeners can take away is be clear about who you are and what you do and how you do it. Uh, what? One thing I want to throw in here, too, is I know we have people listening and they're thinking, I'm a contractor. I work with RFQs. I mean, municipalities met one yesterday. But there are still jobs out there that work for you and jobs that don't. And you have to know the difference and have the discipline to say, I'm taking the ones that do work for me, not the ones that suck up my capacity and don't allow me to make money. So. Yeah, we do, we do our because I'll I actually had this on my sales call on Monday. We do RFPs and RFQs, and I had to reiterate it. We we've acquired some companies recently, and I was hearing, oh, you know, Quest doesn't do RFPs and RFQs. No, we do RFPs and RFQs, but why are we here and how do we win? And what what's the what's the circumstances of our engagement? What's our pre RFQ RFP? participation with the client what's our relationship with the client um, all of those things from a understanding perspective are critical that oftentimes uh, people don't don't have answers to they don't know that or they haven't been engaged well yeah if i haven't been engaged and there's some a contractor and some developers out for rfq and i've not worked with them and everything else about relationships and and I just all of a sudden get something landed on my desk or I pull it off a website to quote on it. Boy, the probability is um, going to be pretty hard to to win that. Very, very, if, you know, my, my new possibility. So we'll do RFQs and RFPs because maybe our customers or clients have to do those. But we've been engaged in conversations with them. We know what they're looking for. We understand if it's not a lock that we're going to win, but we understand what they're looking for in terms of, of us potentially winning. And a lot of times people don't know that. One thing uh, Nick had told me that he got it from you, and I just like the way he said it, but in your discussions with people, perhaps new ones or second conversation, I'm a sales guy, but we are at least equals. I am not subordinate because you're the customer and I'm the sales guy. We need each other and I need you, but maybe you need me a little more, right? That's a mindset. Correct. That we are at least equal and maybe you need us a little more than we need you. And yeah, that same for contractors. Um, city is putting out the RFQ, but they need the contractors to do it, right? Right, and, and, and I, Sometimes people will say, oh, that's pretty arrogant, but I don't mean it to be arrogant. I just mean it to be, I'm, I'm providing a service. I'm providing a capability. I've been doing it a long time. I've gone from cutting lawns to a quarter billion dollars in revenue. I'm kind of in this space and I understand this space. So let's, let's deal with each other from a respectful perspective. There you go. And if that's not the case, I'm not sure I really would like to be here. And, right. um, and the, and the other key part of that, which is really critical is that I have to believe that the universe, not to get, I don't want to get real metaphysical here, but the universe is full of a lot of opportunity. Now, if you think there's only five people doing any, 
in need of any plumbing work in your geography in the next year, and you got to win three of them to to eat. Well, maybe you got different issues you got to look at, but uh, but but from our perspective, we certainly is not the case in that it, that that's the circumstance. We see the universe as hugely opportunities, and they're growing all the time. We just have to be out there engaged with our customers and figuring out how to look for them and understand how to how to cultivate those opportunities into into our organization. Powerful mindset. So uh, one thing uh, I want to cover before we go, this has been fantastic, but our listeners, a uh, bunch of small companies, how might they need Quest services? They might, I, hopefully they're listening for your story and your philosophy, which is captured in the thesis and your strategy, uh, how you do business, the way you think it's coming across, just the way you talk about but I'm sitting out here and thinking, well, that was interesting, but I don't need him. I'm just a small company sitting in Oklahoma or sitting in South Dakota. How, what should small contractors, these five to 100 employees or maybe 200 employees, what should they be thinking about and concerned about on IT? On IT? Well, not just IT, yeah. but in your service. Yeah. But IT is the way a layman says it. And, and I think that, the well, obviously, the, the, Everybody's talking about the whole way things are transforming in the IT world, digital transformation, cloud, all these things. And you can kind of get hung up on a lot of big buzzwords and, and so forth. And whether it applies to you or doesn't apply to you, I think what applies to everyone, and there is a misperception on this, a lot of our clients in the 10 employees to 50 or even to 100, 200 employee range have this perception that I'm not a target as far as a lot of this cyber stuff everyone's reading about. And I want to assure you, you are not a target. What you are is just someone that somebody has put out some automated bots out there that are looking for places to make money. And it's a business. The, the bad guys is an operational business. It's a very sophisticated business and they do a great job penetrating companies who think they're not targets and, and everybody's a target. So I, it isn't like in the sense of your mind, maybe thinking, well, why would I be a target? Don't go that way. You are a target only because you exist. And, and people are going down the street. Think of someone walking down the main street of your town and they're a criminal. And all they're doing is pushing on the front door and see if you forgot to lock it last night when you left the office and they push it and they can open it. And they can come in and they can start ransacking the office and finding out information and data and so forth and so on. And then kind of after they've done that for a week or two, get sucking information out of your organization that they can possibly sell. And on the dark web, they are selling everything today. IDs, credit card information, healthcare information, everything they can find is for sale. And you can buy it on the dark web. Uh, the other, then the, 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 usually the last thing they do is they encrypt all your stuff and uh, say, come back to you and you don't even know they've been there. And then they'll say to you, hey, in order to allow you to keep operating as a business and have your data, we, we need $10,000, $50,000, $5 million. We've had all those ranges of people um, being hit. And it doesn't matter the size of the business. We've had local contractors. We've had uh, bottling companies. We've had everybody and anybody uh, that you can imagine, law offices, accounting firms, that someone just pushed on the door. And they're usually in there for a couple weeks. And then they, and then they, the, the last piece of their uh, agenda is to um, hit you for ransomware. And you're not individually a target. Everybody's a target. Yeah, and it's computer programs doing this. Yeah, it's, it's not a guy sitting in Russia oh, it's all spending his time. People talk about this AI stuff. These 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 bad guys have got AI down to a science, and they're <laughs> and they're out there just looking for people. And so my strong suggestion is just make sure. And this is where we probably help most customers, a lot of customers today, you know, that your cyber your defense, 
is is at least adequate. But more important than that, just assume you are going to have an issue. You are going to be compromised. You are going to be held hostage. Okay, so what am I going to do when it happens? So I'm going to, and you can go buy cyber insurance, and people do, and it's gotten very, very expensive. A lot of questions about things you should have and not have. We've seen rates go up four and five times that they were uh, even a year ago. But also, what's my what's my resiliency? What do I have data stored away somewhere where no one can get it? So that's a month old or a week old. I don't mean online storage because your IT guy will say, yeah, 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 we're backing up off online. We're backing up somewhere. No, no, no. I mean, you got a copy sitting there that's completely what we call air gapped or immutable uh, or offline that's sitting there. If the worst happens, I can go back and at least recover everything to a point that I stored it off right. a month ago or two weeks ago or a week ago. And you know, make sure you have things built up to protect yourself, but make sure you've got something to rely on in the event. Because we've seen companies, I mean, they literally go out of business and, and it costs them, they just can't, they just can't recover. Yeah, Nick told me a story of talking to a guy on a Monday, this a couple of years ago, about normal stuff. And on Friday, the guy was in tears. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I didn't follow it up whether or not you got recovery or not, but he had been ransomware and his whole business is gone. Yeah. I mean, customers, customers can be down where they can never recover. Customers can be down for um, a week, can be down for three weeks. We had one customer down for not a customer. I can't hear my customers never have issues. Just not. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but we had we had one engagement that we were brought in by an insurance company and, and they were down they were down for um, a month wow literally down couldn't operate for a month. Well, the the cybersecurity is one and another one I think about just because I think about it is a lot of companies have some guy or gal who runs their back end their computer guy right yeah Th that person intentionally or not, is kind of build a fiefdom. And if something happened to them, the proverbial hit by a truck or they move or something like that, they're really at a loss. Um, how would you, how do you handle something like that? I mean, have somebody who back up knowledge, um, just all kinds yeah, of- Yeah, I think where that really comes into, and this has been over the last five or 10 years for a lot of clients, um, one of the challenges is that clients have all sorts of devices providing all sorts of alerts and information. And one of the basic steps is, you know, whoever it's, whoever it is, it helps you just make sure they're up to speed on what you are doing and, and have a third party in there that is maybe just monitoring your, so they're, they're watching your firewalls or making sure your firewalls are patched, your servers are patched, your desktops are patched. Patched what's, Patch means updated. Yeah, to the curve. I mean these right. these vendors today are sending out what's called patches. They're just new little things that just keep coming across. Some people don't even see them. They're they're they they ignore them or aren't aware of them. But it, they're not kept up on that. That's usually the biggest challenge with uh, cyber issues is is folks aren't updating their patches on their various devices. And it's just a good idea to have someone in there. In a, in a holistic perspective, monitoring your systems, watching them, because your team really can't. There's maybe one person, and and it's not like you want to come in and replace that person. That person's probably you know very good in the sense of what they do for the client. A lot of times, and I, I'll throw this out to many of its CEOs and COOs and CEOs on the call, it's really our issue as CEOs and CFOs, executive teams, that we make this assumption that we have this one person and that one person can do all these things. And, and maybe they're excited that you think they can, but realistically, um, they, they really can't. It's just too much. I mean, they, maybe their specialty is servers or maybe their specialty is networking or maybe their specialty is storage or maybe their specialty is application and keeping your, 
um, your applications running, your your QuickBooks running, or whatever it is that they have. But but to say, yeah, they're going to cover all of my IT stuff. That's in today's complex world. That's just not real. And a lot of companies in the space that we work to, the executives have that perception, and it's not fair to that one person or two person situation. Fascinating. Well, we've learned quite a bit about just how to operate at a high level and to, to go from a different mindset in our businesses, um, just thinking about the next job to really thinking about our identity, our thesis, and moving that into a strategy of how to go to market. Um, and even just about the cybersecurity side, really fascinating for our listeners. And there's definitely things that we're overlooking uh, on that side. Um, so I really appreciate the information that you've brought to the table and just the knowledge and background that you shared with us, Tim and Martin. Really glad that we could have him on as well. Now, Tim, if somebody wanted to contact you, how would they do that? And we'll put these in the show notes too. Yeah, my email is uh, Tim underscore Burke at com. Our website is at www.hhttp.com. But yeah. I'm always open for uh, a note or if I can help anybody or just get on a call and kind of talk through any any items or issues they might be having. I do need to mention that QuestSys, that's Q-U-E-S-T. Q-U-E-S-T-S-Y-S, yeah. has an IR button on the homepage, which it's a response. It does. And that's like you get hacked and you get the email saying they want $400,000. You go click that button. You can and then yeah, Tim yeah, will tell yeah. you, you better pay it. Yeah. And by the way, when these usually happen are Friday afternoons, usually after 2 p.m. Wow. I mean, literally, that the, the, the quote, bad guys know when people have stopped watching things. And we get a lot of notifications at, at that point in time. And we always, we get the call, we get the hit, and then the, and then the comment is, yeah, well, I'm going out to the lake right now, so I'll call you on Monday. Um, we might want to get on a call before that. But yeah. <laughs> Man. Shows an imperfect understanding of what's going on right now. Yeah. Well, Tim, this has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks for, for, for being on the Great. show. It's been fun. Thank Great. you. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.